Thank you, Terrence. So we started a little late this morning because about 12 seconds into the stream, it decided to just stop. And for those of you who haven't kind of been with us in the building much in the last 17 months, we're actually two churches, or really we're one church with two campuses. We have the in-house campus and we have the online campus. And when it just stops, we can't just hit start again. We actually have to reload everything and we have to actually send out a new email to everybody. And we have to send out all the links and connect all the links in the website and on Church Center. And that used to take about 20 minutes. But because the last three Sundays this has happened to us, we can get it done in four now. So we're getting better. But it is anxiety-inducing when all of a sudden it's, it's, it's 9.59 and all of a sudden the stream stops and the, and the poor tech team looks at me and goes, I don't know what happened. But it's a reminder to me that we live in anxious times, don't we? Not just something simple like a stream, not just because COVID has really pressed us in different directions, not just because we're bombarded daily with negative because that's what sells in the news. Cost of living is rising. The world seems to be increasingly at odds with one another. And with social media, that difference is displayed across the world in real time. When I talk to you, it's clear to me that we are all, me included, right now, struggling with a heightened sense of anxiety. I read a book. I just finished it last night, way too late. I shouldn't have stayed up. And I blame Jane, because she gave me the book. It's a great book. It's called Anxious People. And it's a book about a small group of strangers that experience a stressful encounter that ultimately changes their lives. And the stress is revealed through the book in these various moments, and it shows that each of every one of them have been plagued with a chronic level of anxiety. Probably my favorite character is this elderly woman by the name of Estelle who, who keeps quoting literature and talks about her life in ways that are really quite endearing. And she starts to break down the barriers between others just with her love for life. And it's ultimately in this power of relationship where that anxiety begins to break down. And this story leads them to new places. And they find that in connection, they experience help and health. You see, connection trumps anxiety every time. And we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. And today we're going to not end the series, but we're going to end the section where Jesus finishes his teaching. And we've been going through this, and from about chapter, mid-level of chapter 5, Jesus has just been turning up the heat, and turning up the heat, 
and turning up the heat. And if you've been noticing and if you've been paying attention and you've been trying to actually live this out, I suspect your anxiety level has been creeping up and creeping up and creeping up. Because he says, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And I don't know about you, but I look at that and go, oh, I'm in so much trouble. Because they just continually fail. Because the Sermon on the Mount is a difficult passage. And to pretend it's not, I think, does us a disservice. You see, Jesus is pointing us to a very high standard that he is expecting of his disciples. But he knows we can't do it. And so in chapter 7, all of a sudden the tone changes. It's a really important thing to note. All of a sudden Jesus becomes gracious. And he provides for us this welcome change as he begins to say, what I'm offering you is amazing grace. As I was listening to Frank sing this morning, I was just so grateful for the God above who gave us his son that is pouring out grace day in and day out, no matter what I'm feeling, no matter what anxiousness I'm experiencing, Jesus is there in the midst of it giving me the ability to take the next step. It truly is amazing grace. And Jesus does this by drawing us back to a conversation about prayer. He knows we're tired. He knows we're busy. He knows really deep down we're entirely uninterested in pursuing this life because it is hard. He calls us to question, does prayer make a difference? Does God care about my, my needs? And Jesus teaches us to ask Him, to seek Him, to knock constantly, to expect Him to respond. And why does He do this? He does this because his disciples had doubt, just like we have doubt today. And we need to hear that God is both merciful and forgiving. And we're called to live that life in front of others, to give others the benefit of the doubt, to be on guard, yes, but to be people who seek community, to not judge, to be wide, to be a people of character, and to love our neighbor. And it's virtually impossible, and Jesus knows it. So he calls us back to prayer. But not just any prayer. He gives us this prayer with a promise. A promise that everything will be given. A promise of love and trust and ability. He anchors prayer in the goodness of God's character. Because God is better than us. And he is altogether good. You see, he's motivating his disciples to pray, pray, and he wants to motivate us this morning. He doesn't want to use guilt. He doesn't want to tell you, you should pray. He wants to coax you. He wants to encourage you. Instead of shame or fear, he wants to cast for you a compelling vision of God's goodness. 
in knowing God's goodness, in knowing God's mercy, in knowing God's love, we can embrace those attributes and Jesus says that will prompt us to pray. Not because we're experiencing great anxiety, not because we're experiencing this incredible amount of need, and yes we are, and yes we do, but because we live in the life in the shadow of this amazing God that just draws us into relationship with Him. Jesus wants us to pray because God is good. He writes it this way. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? He's consciously and openly calling us to turn our face towards God. But you see, I think there's two temptations. We're tempted constantly to try to figure this out on our own. I don't know about you, but... I often go to prayer at the end, after I've struggled for a long time, after I've tried to wrestle the solution, after I've been anxious and that anxiety has moved from being acute to chronic because I've been carrying it for so long, and then all of a sudden I wake up one day and go, oh, maybe I should pray. Do you relate? We carry that burden, and Jesus is saying, you don't have to. We don't have to try to make things work under our own power because we simply don't have any. But God does. But I think when I'm honest, when I really pay attention to what I'm feeling, I'm tempted to think that God is actually distant and maybe He doesn't care. You see, how can God possibly care for every single one of us at the exact same time. The entire world. How can he do that? I don't think we just, I don't think we have a sense of just how immense God really is. His omnipotence, his omniscience, his ability to know what every single person in this world is thinking for every single moment in time. I can't get my head around that. And because I can't, I often don't pray because I don't think it will make a difference. But see, God knows me. He knows my name. He knows my mind. He knows my heart. He knows my emotions. And He loves me anyways. And He loves you too. And He desires our honest and open petitions to Him. And there's two discouragements with this. You see, the passage says it will be given, it will be answered, it will be opened, but we've all experienced that sense of unanswered prayer. If God knows why bother asking, 
because I'm probably not going to get it anyways. You see, God does know. He does know what we want. But he wants to hear from us anyways because that is good for us. And I don't have a pithy remark on why some prayers seem not to get answered. I'm simply not going to try to diminish that tension here this morning. I don't know why, but I do know God is good. And I I just have to believe that one day I'm going to go, oh, as he unpacks the whole story for me. But in the meantime, I live in that goodness and I continue to pray because I believe. I believe that it's theological and I believe that my theology, the way I see the world through Scripture, shapes the way I pray. God is good because the Bible says it's so. And Jesus even goes so far as to use the word Father. My earthly Father is here this morning. And I'm just reminded of of the many good times we've had and the way that he's cared for me decade after decade after decade, long after I should have been grown up. I was a field worker, so I just kept coming home. I was the gift that kept on giving. All of you people that are dealing with kids that keep going out and coming back, I got you beat. I was 48 years old living in my parents' house. Thank you, Dad. (laughs) But do we believe that God is good? You see, my heavenly father trumps my earthly father exponentially. As good as my dad is, my daddy's better. Abba trumps everything. And some of us don't have good experiences with our earthly fathers. And so we have a hard time viewing this idea that God is good, that he listens, that he cares. Isaiah takes and turns it a little differently. Never can a mother forget her nursing child. Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. God doesn't just compare himself to a father. He compares himself to a nursing mother. He wants to draw you in. He wants to nurture and nourish you. And that happens through prayer. You see, we can act like we don't believe it, but I'm asking you today, look at the truth and then lean into that truth because God is good. And what kind of parent doesn't give good gifts? God is better than any earthly parent. Tom Wright says it this way, but for most of us, the problem is not that we are too eager to ask for the wrong things. The problem is we are not eager enough to ask for the right things. The Psalms, in one of my favorite passages, says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desire. That is really what Jesus is saying. God wants to have this relationship with you. He wants to be that connectedness to you. To ask, to seek, to knock. And to be in community with your Creator. And to keep connected to him through prayer. But then he does this weird transition. And scholars look at this, and there are all sorts of theories. 
But really, honestly, this is one of those abrupt transitions that Jesus often does, grabs our attention, and it breaks all the rules of literature. Because that's what Jesus tends to do. It grabs our attention. And he says, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. So we keep connected. Because see, in Jesus' golden rule, that's what we call this passage, it's the basis for personal and community life. What is the right thing to do? We have that question all the time. But he says, think of it this way. How would you like to be treated? That's how you should treat others. And then use that as a guideline for the way you interact with others. See, really the practice of this is a double love. It's not selfish or narcissistic, but expansive. You could word it this way. It's self-care to others. See, Jesus is moving our attention from God at this point into our own hearts. And he's drawing us to look at our own obedience beginning with God's work within our inner person. You see, this must be lived in conjunction with what we call the greatest commandment. Love God, love our neighbor. The practice of the golden rule is really an outgrowth of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And the core of the expression is to live life as a person who loves God and loves others and loves self. I actually think that's one of our greatest problems right now. We are so self-absorbed as a society, but we actually haven't found a Christ-like self-love. It leads to all sorts of problems. That's why we have counselors, pastors. That's why we have addiction recovery centers. core expression of life, the golden rule in practice, will bring stability to community life. And it comes as we learn how to be dependent on our Heavenly Father for our needs, our material needs, our spiritual needs. And that stability will come through a healthy commitment to live for the benefit of others. And when appropriate, trust in others' care. And it's directly linked to the care we receive from the Father. Ask, seek, knock. You see, when we are connected, when we keep connected to God, to others, to ourself, our needs get met in a loving community of disciples who emulate the Father's commitment of care for us. That's what church is supposed to be. I see that so often, and it's so encouraging. But it's a simple concept that's hard to do, isn't it? We miss this point a lot. It's the entire Torah summed up. Paul says it this way, For the commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Brothers and sisters, I would suggest to you this morning that so often our world does just that. 
because we don't have a deep sense of a love for ourselves that Christ wants us to have, we might actually be loving others really as we love ourselves. Because we're so broken internally. We're carrying so much anxiety. And God is saying, come to me. Jesus is saying, turn to the good Father. Because that is how you'll actually be able to live out this golden rule. See, Jesus is, express, is, is drawing us to an expression of mutuality through forgiveness. It's a calling to be connected. It's fulfilling the mission of the sermon. It's moving past guilt and shame and fear, past the feelings of frustration and futility into what Jesus wants for us. I think this is actually true community. And true community needs self-care. In order for me to become the non-anxious presence that you need me to be, I need to be focused on God. And I need to know what's going on inside. Because the world around us is anything but a non-anxious presence. You see, good things happen when we connect as a Christ community. And yesterday was an example for me. I got to tell you, the vibe around here was amazing. If you had listened, you would have heard laughter. You would have heard excitement for what was coming in being together, in acts of service. And I encourage you to listen. Because God is moving in our community. It was so evident yesterday. I also encourage you to listen to yourself Pay attention to you. See, we see ourselves as sinners in need of God's grace because sermon after sermon after sermon tells you why you're so bad and why you need Jesus. But you see, we also need to see ourselves as loved by Jesus in spite of the fact that we are broken and desperate. You're worth it. I'm worth it. I know this because Jesus died on a cross so that we could be in relationship with our Heavenly Father. But that does not mean that we don't need healing. That does not mean that we don't need self-care. And I think if we listen, we can learn that self-care is grounding for how to treat others. Self-care leading into other care. So listen to yourself. Listen to yourself in your neighborhood. How do you feel about those who you live around? At work and your coworkers, how do you feel about your work? What are the emotions going on inside you at that moment? Think about and listen to yourself at church. Are you connected? Do you sense God's movement in this place? Listen to yourself in all of life. And that will lead you to a place of living a life of loving others. Again, not narcissistic or selfish, but expansive. John Calvin writes it this way, without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. I think there's three really important parts of being the church. And it's the ministries I want us to to begin to develop. And you're going to hear me use these terms more and more over the next few months. We need upward ministry focused on worship and knowing our Father and knowing our Savior and reaching up to Him 
as a community. We need inward ministry where we're working on ourselves, where we're doing that appropriate self-care, where we're seeing our care for one another rooted in care for ourselves. And we need outward ministry that's care for our brothers and sisters, that's mission, that is looking at our community and our work and seeing how we can live that out in the day-to-day of our life. And this is where Jesus wants to take us with the sermon. You see, he finishes the teaching part by calling us to look up, to look out, and to look in so that we can be rooted in community and we can keep connected. Calvin believed that those who didn't know themselves will never fully know God. To look inward exposes our multitude of failures for sure. And the world has known this for a long, long time. Socrates himself said, the unexamined life is not worth living. And if a Greek philosopher disconnected completely from Christ can figure that out, how much more powerful is it for us knowing Christ and having the one who made us help us through this self-care vision and movement? You see, self-awareness is coupled with a close walk with God when it's focused through the lens of Jesus. A conscious knowledge of motives, desires, feelings, and characters and how our actions will affect others. You see, Calvin says that a deep self-awareness pushes us away from ourselves and back to God because we become displeased with ourselves. The second half of his quote says, without knowledge of God, there's no knowledge of self. And so we keep connected. Upward, inward, outward. Looking inwards, focus back to God, and then we're able to take that and live that in service of others. This is the secret mission of the Sermon on the Mount. A potent response to a world that is so reactionary. And we can be non-reactive. We can use reasoned empathy. And we can set a tone for shalom in a world that desperately needs Christ's peace. Humility and grace. Measured humility but humility nonetheless in meeting the world that needs to hear good news. And so we look back on the sermon and we reflect on what Jesus is saying. His kingdom come. His will be done here and in heaven. The receiving of our daily bread, the receiving of forgiveness, the safety we feel in community, the salvation that comes to us through Christ, the blessing, the humility, the grace, it's all there. The reshaping of how we treat one another, the upward, the inward, and the outward focus of mission and ministry and discipleship, it's all there. And so we keep connected. We keep connected to God through prayer. We keep connected to self through our introspection and asking Jesus to reveal to us those areas he wants to heal.
we keep connected to others as we do unto them what we now know we want done to ourselves. In spirit and in truth, with grace and mercy. And this sums up the law and the prophets. And it sums up the Sermon on the Mount. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, we thank you for the grace that you pour out on us every single day. Lord, in this anxious world, we need your shalom. Lord, I ask that you would help us to see clearly how good you are. As our Father, as the one who calls us to you, who nurtures us, who feeds us. Lord, may we seek, may we ask, may we knock, May we focus upward, inward, and outward as we seek to do your will and seek to be your disciples. Lord, we live in an anxious world. So often we carry that anxiety and it robs us of the peace and the joy that you want us to experience. So Lord, I ask that we would learn to turn to you. That we would not rest on our own power, but rest on yours. Lord, we thank you for your sermon. We thank you, Lord, that you love us enough to call us to the high standard, but then give us the means to get there and the forgiveness for the the many, many times that we fail. Jesus, you are so good to us. I pray, Lord, this morning we would sense that and we would know that, we would lean into that. And then we would then take that out to others. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.